Welcome to episode 34 of the Toadstool Boardroom for the week of March 8th, 2023. My name's Logan Plant, and I'm joined this week just by Justin. Hi, Justin. Hey, Logan. Just you and me. Yeah, it's intimate. Mm. We're, we're throwing you right into the ringer. And uh, into it. One-on-one show on your, your third so, week here. Chris, right, I got to carry half the show already. Week. Yeah, that's right. Pretty soon it'll be just you talking to the camera. No <laughs> Nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd watch it. I'd watch it. All right, Chris Shiver will be back hopefully with us next week. Some life got in the way this week. He's a very busy man. If you follow him on Twitter, Shrives93, you'll see everything going on with him. But we got not that much going on here this week, but we're still going to have a good show for you. And that's because, Justin, everything's happening later this week. It's March 8th, the day we're sitting down to record. And then tomorrow is March 9th, the day this episode goes up. But in Japan, it'll be March 10th, also known since 2016 as Mario Day. What do you do? You like that name, by the way? Do you like this little pun Nintendo pulls every year? Uh, no, uh, but here's what I appreciate about it: is the fact that this is something that is not like corporate or marketing speak. Like this was very much Nintendo fans who made this observation. Like it, honestly, it doesn't make sense in Japanese because that's not how like their calendar works and they have different words for it. It's literally like internet culture adopted this movement and eventually it reached like the executive level at nintendo and they they did the right thing and they just embraced it and went with it and now it seems like every year it becomes a a bigger and bigger thing so i like that i like it conceptually that way although honestly i do think it's 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 silly i've always thought it's super hokey i'm not Mm -hmm. a big fan Mm -hmm. of it but hey there's some stuff going on this week uh for mario day and that is mario news i'm not going to complain that's true yeah any excuse for them to give us a little bit a little bit of news like mario kart 8 deluxe booster course pass wave 4 is dropping on on march 9th just in time for mario day it's going to include eight courses and birdo the first new character of the booster course pass and the tracks are in the fruit cup we've got amsterdam drift from tour riverside park from super circuit dk summit from Wii, Yoshi's Island, which is an entirely new track that will also be coming to tour, Bangkok Rush from tour, Mario Circuit from DS, Waluigi Stadium from the GameCube all-time classic right there, by the way, and Singapore Speedway from tour. Those last four make up the Boomerang Cup. So just surface level, Justin, what do you think of these tracks? I'm excited about it, honestly. I think like a lot of folks, I didn't really engage with tour. So having more of those tracks is interesting to me because they're they're new to me. Like I've I've never been on those. Um, I think Yoshi's Island as a brand new course is going to be a lot of fun. Any excuse to see Waluigi, I am on board with. I'm kind of a Waluigi stan. Uh, so having uh, his uh, his course uh, and in particular, I'm I'm one of those like double dash nerds like double dashes is my favorite mario kart so uh, uh we'll probably talk this uh, about this more in a bit but any excuse to get another uh course from that i am extremely on board with yeah double dash was my favorite till eight and i think it's eight's pretty indisputably the best but i, I think that's a reasonable position to take I, I i i could not say that you're wrong i still I, I, I actually like the double dash mechanic itself of double dash. Like I, I wish they would drop a two cart option into eight. If, if they did, then I would be on board too. I would say that was, that was the king. Eight's as close as it's gotten because they did bring mm-hmm. back the double item box from our eight. And that's the only other Very much game true. that it's in. So yeah, I'm excited about these tracks. I like you. I think that this being a vehicle for the tour tracks has just been the best part of this DLC. And mm-hmm. I don't know, you remember the conversation around wave one, which was about a year ago now already was, Hey, these visuals aren't really up to snuff with the rest of Mario Kart 8's tracks. I think that they've, there's a little bit more polish on the later waves of the booster course pass, which makes sense. Cause they're, they're coming out later, but like, man, like the, the mud on Waluigi stadium, 
that looks so good. That looks so yeah. cool. And it has kind of that, th those reflections and that quality that you kind of got from the base eight game, like Moo Moo Meadows, the remake for, of, of the Wii track that kind of has those same like puddles and reflections and, and, and shiny water effects. And it's like some of the, there's still some really ugly textures like Mario Circuit DS just has this single tone green field out in the background that looks kind of nasty. But for the most part, I think that they're looking a little bit better than they did in the first wave. And yeah, this wave is shaping up really nice because it's got three of the Tour City tracks, Yoshi's Island and all new track, and then Waluigi Stadium. For me, playing both Double Dash and Wii growing up with my sister and my parents, this would always be like the winner take all final race. Like whoever wins at Waluigi <laughs> yep. Stadium is always the winner. And usually I'm leading at the end. So uh, points wise, so they're always like, you got to put your title on the line at Waluigi Stadium. So now that tradition is is coming back again. And my family's been pretty excited about that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about Mario Circuit, but I do kind of have mixed feelings. I I like that it's uh, sort of the uh, like official course of the the DS version. I feel like like it's the just the very generic, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like Mushroom Kingdom track with the castle and the Goombas and the pipes. Mm -hmm. I, I also call it being a pretty short course. Um, I don't know how that's going to actually play in Mario Kart, especially at, at higher speeds. Um, so I'm I'm a little nervous about that aspect of it, but I really do like the aesthetic of like the Goombas on the track and driving through the yeah. pipe tunnel and things like that. And they've added a new section. They've added a forested section, which has a Wiggler oh, running around on the track, which is uh, kind of a new feature somebody spotted in a trailer. Shout out to my boy Wiggler. Yeah, you want Wiggler in as a character? <laughs> uh, no, Wiggler uh, needs to remain a vehicle. Uh, okay. I want I want I want the car with with heck of legs coming out the sides. Okay, but you you already have a Yoshi bike in Yoshi, so you could just have That's Wiggler true. riding a Wiggler bike. That could happen. Well, I mean, then 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 where does it where does it end? Are we going to have like Link riding a a, a Link themed? Uh... A uh, vehicle. Uh, I mean, a, a gorilla car with gorillas in it. I mean, we, yeah. we have to draw the line somewhere, Logan. That's true. You're right. But yeah, this looks great. And and to your point on the shorter tracks, when the first wave came out, I did notice that kind of a lot of them were shorter than the eight tracks. And mm -hmm. I was kind of critical of that at the time. But as time's gone on, I've become a lot more forgiving of it because once the new tracks start to kind of blend in with the original roster of 48 tracks and you're saying just like a random set of eight you're playing with your friends or whatever i think it's kind of fun to get like that rapid um quick burst short track in the middle of like a really long race like a rainbow road and then you go to like sky garden which is like 30 second laps super quick i kind of like that variety it's actually kind of a a fun mix up for me yeah, there, there's there's an appeal to it. I think as a palate cleanser, I think like is it Baby Mario? That's like it's like nine laps because it's so short. You're just going yeah. in a, like a, an oval the whole time. Yeah. Like you know, it, having one of those in a cup isn't the worst thing. But I I do think that if you if skilled racing appeals to you, which I like I and I do think that there's a there's a pretty high skill cap in Mario Kart if you r yeah. really know what you're doing. Oh yeah. Then you you kind of need those longer courses for it to really come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, me and my friend play some pretty competitive Mario Kart online, like in lobbies with people that are still playing. And yeah, they're they're really intense, fun races. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, a, it's still a pretty active online scene. Like you jump into a lobby, there's people playing all the time, which, yeah. is, which is good to see. Any tracks not included yet in the DLC <clears throat> that you still want to see? Yeah, so as a matter of fact, there, there's a couple and there, there's somewhat of a theme. So um, I, I'm a really, really big fan of like the nighttime urban tracks that oh, yeah. we've seen in the series past so there's a couple that that come to mind um mushroom city from double dash to me anytime i think of double dash that to me is the course that's in my head i i picture driving in the the car with like my my 
uh, my buddy either driving or in the back seat, dodging traffic and them using that punch to suddenly like jolt you to the side to avoid like getting in a head to head collision. Uh, easily one of my all time favorite Mario Kart tracks. So I really want to see that come back. I would love to see what that looks like on the more powerful Switch hardware. I think that one would be a lot of fun and really smooth with a lot going on. And it's uh, sort of similarly, Moonview City. Another kind of like nighttime urban track has a lot of those similar elements. And I think that, um, you know, we, we have a lot of like really bright, vibrant tracks, yeah. which is really cool. Um, but I do like kind of that like mood change, especially when they're placed near the end of end of cups. You know, it, it, it sort of feels like you're getting like down to the, the end of the, the yeah. marathon when the sun's down and everybody's out. So th- those would be kind of my picks. Those are good ones. Yeah, I really like Mushroom Bridge also. It's not a nighttime one, but it's another city course from Double Dash. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised, and I'm sure we will, but we haven't seen a new Bowser's Castle in this DLC yet. And yeah. I think that that's got to happen. And I've always loved the Double Dash uh, Bowser's Castle. That one's really fun. It has Double Dash doesn't always control like the easiest. Like you, it, It's <laughs> pretty slippery at times. Uh, and especially if you're playing like I do, which is two small characters in the bullet bill car, you're just insanely fast and have no control. But it's <laughs> that really good segment at the end with the Bowser statue who's shooting fireballs across the track. Yeah, and, that's, yeah that's really and cool. same thing. Like, I, I, I love I love the tracks that have more elements for you to interact with that can ruin your day. Like I like I want to have to dodge things, you know, and yeah. bringing in, in more tracks that, that do that is extremely appealing to me. Yeah. And I think that. I've kind of been thinking we're, we got two waves left after the one that comes out. I'm starting to wonder if we're going to see a second set of these, a second set of maybe not 48 tracks, but I don't know. Like we had, we had the first fighters pass for smash brothers. Everybody thought that was the end. And then boom, at the very end of it, they're like, Hey, we're doing another one of these. And I could really see that happening again here because by the time it's all said and done, Mario Kart eight is going to have a little bit over half of all existing Mario Kart tracks. There are still a ton to pull from. And and granted, not as many of them will be new because the tour stuff will be kind of all used up by the end of this first booster course pass. But mm-hmm. there's still so much stuff to see. And I don't know if the Switch is really going to be around longer than people think it is. Uh, or even if it's not, maybe if it's backwards compatible and Mario Kart 8 continues to its third consecutive console generation, I just think it makes a lot of sense to to do another one of these. It has to have been really, really lucrative for them financially, I think. Yeah, I, I would think so. And that's that's probably the biggest determining factor is how well this is done for them financially. You know, Nintendo is is a company that really carefully manages its cash flow. They don't like to invest in things that don't have immediate returns. That means that if they're going to put money into something like a, another pass, uh, this one has to have done really well for them, not just sort of well. And anecdotally, just based on, you know, how live the online community is, the, exci- the amount of excitement and chatter, we see when a news pa- new pass comes out. I have to believe that it has done really well for them. So I think the the odds of a new pass coming are are really good because, like you said, you know they'll make these decisions much later than we think they will. Like the Smash Pass that we thought was dead way before more tracks came out. I mean, yeah. like how long ago did Mario Eight first come out? And we're talking Nine about years. new content today, right? Yeah. So yeah, uh, is as long as it makes sense for them from a business standpoint and from a, a brand standpoint, you know, 
taking care of, you know, because they don't want to tarnish uh, the brand at all, I, I think there's a really good shot we could see more, and I'm super on board with it. And the game is still selling, too. Like, it is still up there on the charts frequently. They still bundle it. Like, it, it just grows I, every single quarter. I, I can't believe it. Like, at, at, at a certain point, uh, like, the there's there are so many copies of this game out. It, it reminds me of the early days of the Switch when there were, like, more Zelda sold than yeah. Switches mm-hmm. sold, right? I, we're going to hit that critical territory where um, there's literally like one Mario Kart per human eventually. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they're just going to keep selling this game mm-hmm. forever and ever. And and to your point and about we'll how keep it's done it. financially, <laughs> I think that they're not just going to be looking at sales numbers. I think the more important metric for them is this is in their their version of an online subscription. This is in mm-hmm. the Switch Online Plus expansion pack. And I think if they're looking at next year, because we're going to see Wave 6 out by the end of 2023, they're looking at next year and they're like, oh man, we're we're running dry on our virtual console. You're not. Just add GameCube games. There's so much there. You're, you're, you're not. But let's say they view it that way. It's like a way to keep people up on that subscription. Just say, hey, two more years of tracks. I think that people would stick around for that. So... Yeah, and sometimes sometimes we're a little critical of their of what Nintendo does with their online, and this is an easy win, honestly. Yeah. yeah, I've actually been really impressed with the expansion pack. It was not worth it at the start, but when you've got that, you've got GBA, N64, Genesis, all these things, and the Animal Crossing DLC. Yeah, there's a my lot goodness. In there. There's a lot of yeah, good my, stuff. My, my perception changed a lot very recently based yeah. on what they just did. Yeah. Let's let's talk about what they just did, which is GBA games and Metroid Fusion is hitting Switch Online expansion pack. Also, tomorrow day, this goes up March 9th. I have played a fair amount of Fusion. It's another one that I never finished. Came out on GBA same day as Metroid Prime. So I'll throw to you, Justin. What what are your thoughts about Fusion? I'm extremely excited that it that it's out. And I will say Fusion is a blind spot for me. You know, as okay. as somebody who is a huge Nintendo fan, I historically haven't had a lot of access to the the handhelds. Um, it's I've always been like a, a, a home console guy. Frankly, that's what I've been able to get my parents to like buy me for Christmas and things like that. Yeah. And so I didn't have a GBA when Fusion was out. Uh, I've uh, so I, I've missed it. And I say that as somebody who thinks that Metroid Prime is one of the candidates, sorry, not Metroid Prime, Super Metroid is one of the candidates for the greatest game of all time. I think it's a, a near perfect video game. And I know that Fusion is considered a very worthwhile successor to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm extremely excited. I actually downloaded it. Uh, it's funny, this is this is almost a rinse repeat of what I talked about Metroid Prime because I downloaded Metroid Fusion last year to with the intention of playing through it on my Wii U when I hooked nice. that back up. Um, but I ended up playing through Metroid Prime instead. And so that's where my, my time went then i moved on to other things so i've played the first like hour or so of it and it absolutely feels like the next uh, game you'd expect after super metroid it controls really well it's got a really vibrant palette i think it's going to look amazing on my swoled Mm -hmm. uh so i'm uh it is a game that i intend to play through as soon as i have some time uh, hopefully you know before the end of spring yeah it's i from what i played a fusion and kind of just what i know about consensus of it it is a lot more chatty and a lot more mm-hmm. linear than Super Metroid is, and it kind of was the start of that descent into what eventually became the chattiest and most linear Metroid Other M. Um, so it's <laughs> it's definitely the start of that. I think Nintendo, in, in that side of Metroid, the internally developed side, holding your hand just a little bit more. Uh, so yeah, but I, I think yeah, it's it's, still it's, really it's also 
from a narrator standpoint, like the bridge to Metroid Dread. And so I think yep. giving people access to that so that they can uh, follow that story. I mean, frankly, and this is not to say anything bad about the earlier Metroid games, but like the story is so much more about the environment and your experience being so isolated. You could very well start with Fusion and go straight into Dread and honestly be pretty well caught up on the story of Samus and Mar- Metroid and where it's at. Yeah, and Dread gives you a very good recap kind of of mm. everything leading into it. But yeah, with with Fusion, all five main Metroids are now on Switch. It's not the remade versions of 1 and Finally 2. Finally playable. Zero Mission isn't there yet. It should be. Uh, it should be there. They didn't confirm that as their GBA lineup. I'd be shocked if it doesn't show up, though. Uh, and then it's not Samus Returns. It's the original Game Boy version of, of Metroid 2, but it's very cool that they're all there. So he, here's my question for you, Logan. Is the last year, maybe plus a couple months, depending on when Dread came out, the greatest year in the history of Metroid in terms of like games that we can play? It's tough to say because Prime Infusion came out on the same day. So it's hard to look at that and be like, oh, <laughs> well, true. that wasn't. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. But I mean, they they've now released within a very like yep. within a very narrow window of each other. And with how great Dread was, like as you know, as a long suffering Metroid fan who uh, is old enough to have played it since the NES um, and has gone very, very long stretches with nothing. Um, it feels like we're like suddenly feasting. We, we've clawed our way through the desert. Uh, we, we've survived a couple of mirages and all of a sudden, like there's this giant buffet in front of us and promise of Metroid prime four, whatever the state that's in uh, and a belief that like, there seemed to be a lot more buzz around Dread than Metroid usually has, and it feels like there's a lot of potential that it's going to continue. Like, I, it, it feels like we're in the promised land, and it feels amazing. Yeah, I, I, I forgot to mention this a few weeks ago, but Nintendo launched an official site for Metroid, metroid.nintendo.com. Incredible. It's live now. It's crazy. Like, only, like, Kirby has that, and Zelda has that, and Mario, and, like, Mario Kart, but, like, that's it. Like, there's not a ton of individual sites they make them for specific games but for a franchise like yeah that's rare that's rare for nintendo and they are giving metroid that treatment and then i'm a little surprised that with how shortly after fusion came out it wasn't included in that day one gba lineup so fusion and prime came out the same day again like i was like they were so close it's like, how did they <laughs> yeah. not pull that off again but Maybe they wanted to give Prime its moment in the spotlight before Fusion. Just really try and get let's try and get people talking about Metroid for like two straight months instead of just yeah. like that a couple concepts. Like, I, I hope that's what they did because that's a brilliant strategic move. Because like I, I Metroid Prime had its moment in the sun and it was all everybody was talking about. It was just it, blowing up on on Metacritic. And I I think that we're at that point now where a lot of people have started to wrap it up and are hungry for more. And it's such a perfect time to release Fusion. Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't love to talk about the rumor mill on this show, but the rumors have always been saying Prime 1 and then 2 and 3 later, so maybe. And it makes sense with 4 coming out at some point. Mm-hmm. I, it makes sense to get that whole series there, not counting. Yeah, and, and, and again, Nintendo's the sort of company that will wait to see how well 1 does before they commit to, like, even if they have the code done for 2 and 3, for the resources to spool up releasing physical copies and digital distribution yeah. and marketing and all those things like that. They'll, they'll absolutely sit, sit on a property uh, in, until they, they know that it's the right time to go. And it, it feels like, as you know, fans and consumers, we're giving them very obvious signs that it's, it's the right time yeah. to go. And a prime example of them holding on to something is Prime Remastered. That thing's been sitting for who knows how long. It, uh, 
it hasn't gotten a patch yet. It was that polished out of the gate. It's still version <laughs> 1.0, like almost a month later, yeah, which is pretty crazy. I, I like to picture that it's been done for like two years and it's just like, <laughs> there's three dudes in charge of it. So they just keep doing polish passes over. They've got nothing else to do. They're like, yeah. are we releasing this month? No. All right, let's, let's give it another once over. Yeah. Just right back through it. Yeah, I actually saw a couple devs on Twitter say, finally, I can talk about this was the first game with my name in the credits, and I've been waiting for years for it to come out. Yeah. I'm now two weeks from retirement, and this was my first game I worked on. Yeah, yeah but I'm still playing Prime Remastered and still absolutely loving it. I, um, I'm about seven or eight hours in now. One of the last big sequences I did, light spoilers for listeners who are playing it for the first time like me, uh, I just got the the heat visor and just had to escape from the lab where the lights go out and the Metroids are bursting out of the, the glass. And wow, that was so cool. And and dude, low key, this game is scary. <laughs> yeah, I was feeling that. I was like, OK, yeah. am I just a wimp or is this actually a little bit horror infused right yeah, now? Yeah, no, that's that, there's very much a, yeah. a there's there's it. There's horror elements to it, and it like they knew what they were doing. Like they knew turning out the lights, and even when you see things with the thermal visor, like you're seeing silhouettes and things are breaking through glass. Yeah, man, this is a, a straight up horror games at time, and it's really well executed. Yeah, so very good, very good there. All right, another thing happening tomorrow is the Mario movie is getting its final trailer. Uh, this is a Mario movie direct. No, no game stuff, just the Mario movie. Uh, March 9th, 2 p.m. Pacific time, and this is it. Last trailer before the movie comes out in early April. Do you want to see any more of this thing? Because I'm at the point where it's like, this is a this is a 90-minute movie, and you've shown me 10 minutes. Like, pump the brakes. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I'm, I'm so completely sold, you know... <clears throat> You know, I, I, I previously worked in sales for a long time, and there's this whole principle of, like, shut up when you get the yes. Like, you're not going to sell me on something that you've already sold me. The only thing you can do is start to, like, talk me out of it. So, like, okay. just shut up. <laughs> like, I'm, uh, I'm extremely excited for it. I Every trailer that they did show has just ratcheted that up more and more. But, like, I'm... I'm saturated, man. I'm, I'm like, yep. 10 out of 10. I Like, you don't have to say another word. I'm in. I'm just... I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll be talking about all this stuff next week once it's actually here. So look forward to that a week after the fact. But then Capcom and Level 5 are both holding showcases within the next 24 hours. We're going to see Mega Man, Professor Layton, Fantasy Life, and a lot more. And uh, the Mega Man stuff is going to be that Battle Network Legacy Collection, which I know people are excited for. Uh, and then Layton, I'm extremely excited for. That was one of my favorite series on the DS, and I'm super excited that that one's coming back. So, yeah, there's a lot happening. Yeah, and I will say Capcom has done a really good job with these legacy collections. Um, the you know, as a huge Mega Man X fan, I I have both a Mega Man X legacy collections, which are really well put together, have fun extras. Um, I thought the Mega Man uh, Zero legacy collection was extremely good. I forgot how freaking hard those games are. They are hard as heck, um, but in a good way. Great quality of life improvements and things like that. So I, I have every reason to believe that these newest ones are going to just continue that trend of being excellent, excellent collections. Cool. Cool. All right. A uh, quick PSA now before we get into our listener questions. And that's turn on your Wii U as multiple users are reporting that their console is bricked uh, with no way to fix it after it's sitting idle for several years. So, yeah, plug that thing in. I still have it hooked up all the time. I turn it on at least once a month, probably. So I'm safe from this. But, man, there's not many out there. So this thing could be expensive. I, I saw that. I saw that go out on social media and I was so glad that I like dug mine out last year and yeah. hooked it up. Um, because it would be it would be such a tragedy because there are some games that will only ever be accessible on the Wii U because of its mm -hmm. unique controller interface. So like, 
you know, every every Wii U that dies is like one less that's available, and there frankly aren't that many out there. Yeah, and those games, by the way, you only got like two and a half weeks left to buy them. So uh, maybe <laughs> next week or in two weeks on the show, we're gonna do a big Wii U 3DS oh, show we, to talk. We about. should do like a buyer's guide. Yeah, we should. Here's everything you need to buy before it shuts down. Yes, I actually already wrote a buyer's guide for IGN.com, so I'll just pull it up and we'll read through it. And <laughs> that's it. The show. Yep. Yep. All right, let's get into our listener questions. A lighter, a lighter week, so thanks to the three of you who sent in questions for giving us some content. You can always email us, toadstoolboardroom at gmail.com, or, uh, or send us a tweet on Twitter at toadstoolbr. So this first question comes from Cody, who says, aside from Amiibo, action figures, statues, plushies, anything like that, what's your favorite gaming collectible that you own? And I'll add another one, not the games themselves. I don't know if you picked any that were games themselves, but like... Like Majora's Mask Collector's Edition on N64 is like one of my most prized possessions. And I recently just got the Majora's Mask First Four Figures statue this week, and I, I did I, I love it. I love it so much. I don't like the game very much, but I love the mask <laughs> a lot. But Justin, I'll start with you. What do you got to show off? I've got a couple of things, uh, and I did try and go like a little bit off off the wall, a little bit unique. So I'm going to show this one first. Um, it's uh, it's a vest. Oh, and I know okay. a vest is a weird thing to show off, but if you look, you'll see the little like Nintendo seal. So these are these are the uh, ones that Nintendo employees wear, and it was actually a gift that was given to me. So you, you know, in my my day is there job on outside, the other side or is it just the back? No, nah, it's, it's just puffy. Okay, cool. um, but so in in my in my day job, um, I work in the live events industry, and and you know, having lived a long time in like. Uh, Seattle area. I've worked directly with Nintendo a few times, and I did a really big show with them. And things went really, really well. They were very happy, high fives all around, shaking awesome. hands, kissing babies. And the next day when I got to my desk, there was like a, a, a little like just pile of things for me that they left as, as a thank you. And one of them was um, so everybody who was there, all of their employees, all the internal Nintendo people were wearing this exact vest. And so when I, 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 I get to my, my desk, there yeah. is a, a Super Nintendo Classic and this vest there waiting for me. And so like it, it's been a, a treasured possession of mine ever since. Uh, like, do I, do I wear a vest? No. <laughs> but, but, but it occupies that position of, of honor in my, in my closet because it's, it's this, like, you know, you, you, I've never seen them out there in the world. I don't know that, that anybody outside of, like, Nintendo buys them or gets them or like uh how accessible they are but you know it's it's the very first time where i've actually gotten something like directly from nintendo like from them to me like not not me a consumer but me personally and it's been um it, it and so it, it's 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 i'm honored and i will keep this thing forever because it's it's a reminder of like this this very like touching special moment uh where the, this company that i grew up loving like very specifically and directly showed some love right back to me. Yeah, that's very cool. That, that's I like that vest. It's nice. It's subtle. Yeah. When it comes to gaming on. clothing, I'm I like a lot more subtle things. Uh, like I don't like things with like huge logos and words on them. I like things. <laughs> it's like you, if you know what it is, it's cool. And if you don't, mm -hmm. it's just some design. So yeah, it's cool. It's just a little little exactly Nintendo my style. Pack. Do you think that an employee just took it off and gave theirs to you? Or do you think that they brought a new one? You know what? I will say, so, um, you know, if you ever have the chance to, to work with directly with Nintendo, it's a very cool thing. And they, they're an extremely conscientious company. They are a company where nothing is willy-nilly. Everything is well thought out. Everything is is careful. And I don't mean that in a way to indicate that it's like, 
contrived it, it's it's extremely thoughtful like they mm-hmm. there's a lot of thought and care that goes into everything that they do or say and the plans that they make and like anyway having planned events with them it is all done with like a, a lot of a lot of attention to detail and a very clear idea for what they're trying to do and convey so yeah no like i don't think somebody was like just walking by <laughs> like here you go we should give them something uh jimmy <laughs> give me your vest oh, uh-huh. dang it yeah very cool all right, All right, what you uh, got? I'll I'll go next. This is I think just a Club Nintendo reward from back in the day. Um, Club Nintendo for you youngins out there. Uh, you could you could you, these games came with codes that you could enter for points, and then you could redeem them for physical rewards instead of just Switch profile icons and discounts on games. It was it was pretty cool. And one of the coolest ones they ever did. Speaking of Majora's Mask, was a Majora's Mask official CD soundtrack. And I just love this. I love this art uh, on the cover. Very cool. And then. Uh, the disc itself is a close-up of the mask. I just think it's it's, it's a very cool little piece. And yeah, I actually just dug this out the other day because I was like, I still have that somewhere around here. And then I went and found it. And uh, I don't have a CD player except in my car, so I have not listened to it. Uh, but it is it's a cool little thing. And something else I didn't dig out that I would have brought was I went to E3 2017 and 2018 were my first two E3s. And the lanyards that year were Super Mario Odyssey and Super Smash Brothers. Uh, and And I just kept my little tag on there from the site I was writing for at the time and I have those stuffed away in a box somewhere too that I yeah. I, I have all of my packs lanyards from yeah. uh, my media badges for nice. similar reasons <laughs> yeah. yeah all right what's your what's your next item all right next one a little bit physically oh I want that they, they're still selling that and I've never bought it I've thought about yeah it. so um this is the creating a champion book for breath of the wild um as uh, long-time listeners of the show, and by long time, I mean at least three weeks I've been here, uh, will know uh, I think Breath of the Wild is probably the greatest game that is ever made. Um, it is richly detailed. They it, like they go into uh, weapons, areas, enemies, um, and you can see how they came together. You can see lots of concepts. There's a great page where they show a lot of concepts of Link uh, before he became the version that we saw in the game. And there's there's one with a guitar. Um, I love the pages and pages. See if I can show, hold that there of weapons and those designs. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great notes about how those things came together. And I absolutely love the art style of uh, of Breath of the Wild um, in like you may occasionally see a peak of a of a tattoo, and the and the the tattoo is one hundred percent inspired by Breath of the Wild. Uh, and in fact, when I was uh, trying to figure out what the artwork was going to look like, um, I would spend nights just sitting in front of this book, flipping through pages, trying to That's find awesome. inspiration and ideas and and how I wanted to to do it. And like I, I've written, I've read it that entire thing cover to cover. My son has read it cover to cover. My wife thumbed through it because she wanted to offer tattoo opinions too. <laughs> nice. um, it's it's. It's like I, I have a number of art books and collectibles because I, I, you know, have bought a lot of collector's editions. Nothing holds a candle to that, though. It's actually why I'm holding off from the Tears of the Kingdom collector's edition is I'm hoping that some sort of similar book from Dark Horse Comics gets made for that game. Because yeah, I have Hyrule Historia, which is just also a phenomenal Zelda book um, in kind of the same series, same publisher. So Yeah, you are a, a wiser man than I because I'm going to be a sucker and I'm going to buy both. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the spirit also, orb in it, right? Exactly what I was pulling out. Nice. Let's see it. All right. So just I just need three more of these, and I'll get a little more life. Nice. Stamina yeah. or and, hearts? What are you picking? Uh, hearts. In fact, if you take a look, uh, you you may recognize the the texture 
um, that's throughout um, the game. That's exactly where that comes from. Very cool. All right, my next item up. Can you tell we're Zelda fans, listeners? Can you tell that we might like Zelda a little bit? We should do a Nintendo podcast. I think so. I think so. All right, how many more things do you have to show? Because I brought a few. Uh, I so when I'm sitting at my desk, I will say there's no shortage of things that I could okay. grab and pull out. So I'll, I'll match you beat for beat. All right, we'll do three more. Three All right. More. Uh, this is a Nintendo pick. Uh, you like The Last of Us, Justin? You care about it? I do. I I, I have complicated thoughts about it, but I generally okay. do. Uh, I'm a big Last of Us fan, and at a Comic Con, uh, there was an artist who sold this print that they that they drew. Of oh, Joel and that is amazing. And she, uh, Joel is teaching Ellie guitar, which means this happens between the two games. Uh, and they always, in the first game, they talk about, like, you're going to teach me guitar when this is all over. And then in the second game, Ellie knows how to play guitar. So here's a little nice uh, artwork of that moment in between. So, yeah, I really, I really, really thought that was nice. Yeah, are you watching I, the show, I, by the way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I uh, like I don't want to veer into Nintendo too much. Um, yeah. I I'm blown away by how well executed it is as an adaptation, and I hope that video games from all different video game manufacturer organizations like take some notes about uh, a lot of the things they do right to do a faithful adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I went in super skeptical, thought I was going to hate it, and I can't wait to watch it every week. And I was only one right. left. Only one, only one left. I'm sad. So they're doing part two next, which I like more. That's true. Yeah, like and it's, especially as somebody one. from as somebody from Seattle, I'm yep. excited to see their uh, their take on it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next up. All right. Nice. The Lego NES. So I bought this. I pre-ordered it before it came out um, and arrived pretty much as soon as the pandemic started. So I spent my first several days just at my kitchen table, have this like. Um, straw cowboy hat i was wearing to because i look like a dork when i'm doing it just plugging <laughs> away just plugging away at this and um the the engineering of the folks at lego is incredible i like i like to think i'm a somewhat sharp guy but i can't ho- like these guys are geniuses yeah. so like you know obviously like you know i've got the, the little crt it, there's the the little console as well that has a cartridge that you put in and it has a little hinge where when you put it in you push it down um you know if you haven't seen this before you know, it's it's a, a little CRT and there's a little crank. And when you turn it, it moves and Mario will actually track the surface. And so you can actually run through like level one, one um, entirely in analog Lego blocks. It's yep. amazing. And so, you know, th- this this is obviously the, the sort of Lego kit that you don't, you know, break down and put all the pieces in the bin. This is going to stay as the uh, Lego NES uh, as long as I'm alive. What I think is super cool is, like, you said the Lego NES, but the star of it is the TV, which, like, we wouldn't even thought of. Like, if they had just released this, the console, we would have been like, cool, that's a great set. We'll get it, we'll buy it, and we'll we'll build it. But they just went really above and beyond with it. And the well, the console has the super the, the coolest Easter egg ever, which is right, right on the side. Oh, he's lifting it up. Yeah, it's World 1-2 that One, you two. build in tiny little blocks. And you don't really realize it's going on until you've like you've, you're like halfway done. You're like, "What am I building?" And you're like, "Oh my god, I'm building a warp pipe!" Like, yeah, that was exactly. The like, com- com- complete with warp zone over here. Yep, which is awesome. So, yeah, that's a great yeah. one. I I love this thing. I also built the Lego Bowser over Christmas. Um, oh, yep. solid. Yeah, it's very man. Cool. I, I I love the whole Lego Mario like integration. Honestly, N- Nintendo was so protective of their IP. Like, 
understandably so for for so long but now that they've opened things up a little bit the the things that we're getting i feel like are absolutely brilliant between that yeah. and um the uh what's mario kart home circuit um yeah. they're doing so many cool things right now yeah absolutely uh all right i'll go books next i got two books the first is uh, a lot of people listening probably have this but i just really like Askawada. Super cool, uh, super cool physical uh, book about Satoru Iwata. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really love this book. You should read it if you're a Nintendo fan. It, it's required reading. Uh, and then the second one is from Fangamer.com, which used to have a ton of Earthbound stuff. That's kind of how they started, actually. They don't have nearly as much anymore. They have a ton of stuff for like a lot of indie games. Um, like I actually just pre-ordered the Tunic Physical Edition from there. Uh, but this is uh, Travel Eagle Land, The Earthbound Way, and it is essentially a travel guide as if you are heading to Eagle Land, which is where oh, Earthbound takes that's place. That's excellent. So you look through, and it's like, um, it has, like, history of all, like, the buildings that are in there. It has, like, little cool, like, trading card versions of the enemies that you find in Earthbound, um, and it does this for every city. Like, here's Dusty Dunes Desert, and there's, like, advertisements like for a casino that you can go to in the game like here's this these real people on this ad and it's just a crazy cool like coffee table book uh and then there's also some really really beautiful earthbound art in there too um i love earthbound and yeah this this just captures kind of that the the quirky nature of it for sure it's it's a really good one they don't sell it anymore though so yeah man so that's that's collectibles for you like that's the the whole thing is like you got to get them when you can and if you don't they're gonna get really expensive really fast all right i gotta ask you you got zelda and chill back there is that a vinyl because i love zelda and chill i listen to it all the time oh oh, this whole thing yeah the 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 next thing for me to show you oh my gosh that is so good so so, oh that's that's gorgeous that's yeah, awesome. and I, so there's there there's a special appeal uh, to like to lo-fi played through you know an analog music system. Mm-hmm. You know the the reason why I work in live events is specifically like my specialty is like the audiovisual components. I'm a huge nerd for like sound design and things like that. Frankly, like <laughs> and honestly, that comes from video games too. I I love video games so much that I always wanted to have the best possible like light and sound and. TV and things like that, which turned into a career, and that would turn into this whole thing, blah 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 blah. But as a result, frankly, I I've invested like an unreasonable sum of money into things like audio, and so like I I have a lot of great pressings of different video game soundtracks on vinyl, and this one I this is a great one because I saw the pre-orders go up, uh, and it was gonna be it was gonna be a limited run, and it was like nine months, I think, after I ordered it that it came. And it was so long that I had literally forgotten that I had ordered it. And then uh, suddenly this showed up in the mail one day. And I was like, oh, holy crap, I completely forgot about that. And so, of course, you know, immediately had to unpack it and listen to it. And it's awesome. Um, in particular, uh, the the version of a Song of Storms on there. That's really good. Oh yeah. man, I, I I could just listen to that on loop forever. Uh, yeah, it's 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 amazingly well done, and uh, and I think makes a lovely display piece to have yeah, up in my background. Super cool. Uh, Link and Zelda sitting at like a cafe with neon sign for our audio listeners. Yeah. Sorry well, about the statement. Check us out on YouTube. Don't still bored with the search for us. <laughs> right. But yeah, super cool. Yeah. Oh, exactly. and the menu it's... says dubious food, rock hard food. That's cool. That's very. Yep. That's very good. It's beautifully done. So Zelda and Chill has two sequel albums, Zelda and Chill 2 and 3, 
And three is actually my favorite. I listen to it when I work from home pretty much every day, just one time through. That's those, those lo-fi compilation playlists are the best for when you're working or yep. studying or anything like that. And Zelda and Chill 3 has this like back-to-back-to-back run of like Astral Observatory from Majora's Mask, uh, the Legend of Low Rule from Link Between Worlds, and then the trailer theme from Tears of the Kingdom, which are three of like my favorite. It's so good. Check it out if you haven't. I'll, I'll link it. I'll link it in the description. All right, all right. Quick, quick aside. What is your favorite piece of Zelda music? What, like, what's number one on your list? Oh, um, there's a lot that I like a lot. I really, really like the Great Sea from Wind Waker. Is a favorite. Of That's mine. a good one. Yeah. Um, I'll keep thinking. What about you? You throwing out there? Uh, I, I will say for for me, it is easily Gerudo Valley. Like yep. that 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 thing comes up like that that beat hits and like I could run through a brick wall. That that gets me every single time when I play uh uh like uh um Twilight Princess because I have a, a version of that in there. Once you get to the desert, like I I basically when I get close to it, I feel it and I start kind of speed running just to get to it. Dude, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about the Twilight Princess part. That one is awesome. That arrangement mm-hmm. is amazing. Oh my gosh, yeah. Twilight Princess is great. What a great uh, song. <laughs> and then <laughs> and what uh, a great game. I love Oath to Order from Majora's Mask. Like the Calling the Four Giants song. That's mm-hmm. just super melancholy and sad. And yeah. and yeah, man, people I feel like I confuse people because Majora's Mask is my least favorite 3D Zelda. But the vibe, Same. the story, the sound, I I adore it all. It's just I think the dungeons are bad. I think the gameplay is like the scenario is not good. Like what you do in each of these places is not very good, but I, I love everything else about it. I don't like Majora's Mask. And yeah. I like I, I literally have Zelda tattoos and I don't like Majora's Mask. <laughs> I uh, I OK, we could do an entire show about Zelda. Maybe, maybe we should maybe, maybe yeah. we should put together a, a, just you missed a, a our 3D dive. Zelda retrospective. We already did one. We did one last year. Yeah, and, we can revisit it. We, we, maybe, maybe we need a follow up. Yeah, but like in, in particular, like I, I love the way the in, in the Zelda games you so feel so immersed in the world, and you know you, you, you go and like you can follow the critical path. You go on, you or you go play silly games, or you go to a town and you see these weird adventures. And I think like that persistent time mechanic in Majora's Mask takes away from that because you can't just like lays about. You can't just like flip over every rock. You can't spelunk every cave uh and that's so much of what i like out of that experience and the fact that you know breath of the wild basically is nothing but that is a big part of why i like it so much that's fair yeah the time mechanic isn't even what i dislike about it because one of my favorite movies is groundhog day like i love that concept i, I, I think I it's love awesome. groundhog day one of my my favorite anime has a has a time loop yeah. but i just don't like it for zelda i i just really do i just think that like i actually had this thought earlier today uh and i, I was thinking about like I want Majora's Mask to get like a Resident Evil 2 style remake. Like, oh, like not just, just remake the, game, like the 3DS version, but like yeah. keep Clock Town, keep the story, keep the characters, but just redo the dungeons, redo yeah. the actual scenario. Because Build it like if you built it today. Yeah, because I don't think the dungeons are good. I don't think the that, bosses that, are good. I mean, I, I, I would certainly be at least be into it. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, there are aspects of it that I do like. Um, I, 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 do, I do like when the Zelda gets very dark and melancholy. Again, yeah. One of the reasons why I like Twilight Princess so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think the mask system is really cool. I think some of those masks look amazing. And I love the way that some of them are allusions to other Nintendo properties. And I like that so many of them have like deep and often very dark backstories to them. Yeah. If you want to like dive into the lore behind different masks and how they come to be. There, there's a lot about that game I like. I just don't like to play it. Yep, exactly. No, I, I actually, I, I said this analogy. <laughs> I don't think I said it on this show. It's like, I I go through this, my own kind of Groundhog Day cycle with this game where I, I the 
distance makes the heart grow fonder with Majora's Mask. The longer it's been since I've played it, the more I'm like, man, I need to go play that game again. It's because kind of the gameplay fades and what remains is kind of the, the lasting impression. And then I the cycle restarts when I pick it up, I play it and I'm like, well, that wasn't very good. And then it starts again. And I, it, I play it about once every two to three years uh, because of that. And that's how long it takes. But when I see people online saying Majora's Mask is my favorite, I'm like, okay, when was the last time you played it? Because <laughs> I can see that because, I mean, I posted a picture on the Toadstool Boardroom Twitter of all the Majora's Mask stuff I have. I have a ton of it because, like I said, I, I just love the mask and the design and, and the vibe of that particular Zelda. But, yeah, it's just not very fun to play. It's, um, it's like that, that meme where it's like, you know, these people somehow delude themselves into thinking it might, but it might work for us. So yeah, you, yeah. you delude yourself into thinking you're going to like it, but you might like it this time. Mm-hmm. I remember even being like a, a kid, like I was... I was like three when Majora's Mask came out, and I just remember going downstairs and opening the cabinet where we stored all of our games and just pulling out the box to Majora's Mask and just looking at it because I just loved looking at it. And it's like, well, now I just look at it on my wall every day. Like, I'm I'm the same person uh, 20 (laughs) plus years later. Yeah. Okay, anyways, where were we? What were we talking about? I don't know. Uh, Oh, Uh, Zelda and Chill. Zelda and Chill. Now it's your turn. Yep, okay. Uh, Well, this is my last thing to show. And it uh, it follows up on Zelda and Chill. I also have a lot of video game records, and I have Golf Story. I have uh, I have Astrobot Rescue Mission VR. These are all from Fan Gamer. Check out Fan Gamer; it's an awesome site. Uh, but this one was not from Fan Gamer. It is the Ace Attorney 20th Ooh. Anniversary box set, which has a six. It's a six pack of vinyls for the six mainline Ace Attorney games. And Ace Attorney is my favorite series. If you didn't know. Uh, and each one just has an amazing sleeve with art specific. I was going to ask if we could see some art. Oh, yeah. look at that. Yeah, and then a track list on the back with the courtroom, and then the the vinyls themselves are gold. They're designed to look like the attorney's badge that, that Phoenix wears. So, And they've got kind of like that rippled texture on the inside. It And they sound amazing. Like, yeah, it's awesome. Ace Attorney is great, and I'm hoping it a uh, surprise shows up in the Capcom showcase tomorrow, although I don't think it will. Uh, but yeah, and then the front has all of the defense attorneys from the series and assistants, and then the back has all the prosecutors. So super cool. If you like Excellent. Ace Attorney, which I do. Yeah. So uh, if there's if there's a theme here, it, w- worth getting a, a nice little little turntable and investing in a few pieces of vinyl if you're a, a big fan. Um, and not only do they sound great, um, the artwork is usually amazing uh, when you open these packages. Uh, yeah. It's like that. That's that. Like honestly, half of the experience really is grabbing the grabbing it and looking at it and taking yep. it out and the whole like ritual and process behind that and i love the way and look at that this is part of why i can nerd about like like sound and like audio equipment so much is like so so much of it when you do it is like you know you can't just hit play on like your phone or your mp3 player what have you like yep. you have to intentionally like take this out and set it up and it puts you in this place where you're gonna where uh, you sort of intentionally have to like uh, pay attention to what you're doing, and it and it sets you up to really li- like deeply listen to to the music rather than having it be background noise. Uh, and it's such a great way to like really appreciate the music. It's it's awesome. I, I can't recommend that highly enough. Yeah, records really turn music more into an activity than a background thing. Mm-hmm. Like I was never really one growing up to just like sit and listen to music. I would just have music on in the car in the background, whatever. 
But yeah. with a record player, that changes. And it actually led to kind of a cool experience with, with my parents came to visit for Thanksgiving. And it was like two days after that Ace Attorney vinyl had shown up. And my sister was here too. And she loves Ace Attorney as much as I do. So she's like, oh, I want to listen to it. And I put it on. And then like uh, the next day after we listened to like all six of these things, just in the background while we're doing other family stuff, my my mom comes up to me and she's she's like played games like um, – for 30 years also. And like, uh, he introduced me to games. So he played games as a family, but then she comes up to me and she's like, you know, I never thought about how video games have like real music composed just for them, like real awesome soundtracks. And so that was a cool thing that through listening to this Ace Attorney vinyl. Yeah. My parents were like appreciating video game music, not just as like set dressing, but like as actual art itself. And I thought that was really cool. That's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, Ace Attorney vinyl. Uh, that's my last item. Do you have anything left that you want to do or should we move on? Uh, no, let's move on. Okay, we'll move on to our next question. Thanks for sending that one in, Cody. That was a long one. And this one comes from Rachel, who says, everyone's still wondering what Zelda Tears of the Kingdom will be like. But I'm wondering something else. Where does the Zelda series go after May? Curious to see how you think Nintendo follows up two huge open world adventures in the same art style and what looks to be much of the same overworld. This is a good question. And I have an answer, but I'm going to save it and put you on the spot first. I'm, I'm curious how similar our answers will be. Okay. I, I will say that. So, well, Rachel, um, I, I strongly am one of those people who thinks that Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, as they're built, are meant to be sort of the combined endpoint. Um, we have the clear beginning point, which is Skyward Sword. And we have these branching paths in the middle that uh, in many contradictory ways somehow weave back together. Um, and and that, that to me is part of the appeal of the lore and story. And uh, I don't know if, my, if I'm saying what I'd like to happen or what I think will happen, but I think what we're going to get, honestly, is a solid break from, Zel- from mainline Zelda for a little while. And then whatever uh, we see or whatever happens next is going to be new, separate, distinct, not part of this, uh, this like group together timeline. Like, you know, if you want to picture like, like Cat's Cradle with the strings that like, like are interwoven, that's all the Zelda game so far. And I think what happens next will be outside of that for the first time since the series began, really. Yeah, I think that it'll stay the next mainline Aonuma produced Zelda if he even, this could be his last, who knows. But let's mm-hmm. say that, that he stays on, will be, I think, another open world. I think open air is the format for the mainline series going forward. But man, you mentioned that art book, the, the Creating a Champion. One of my favorite things in there showed a concept for Zelda that was aliens invading Hyrule. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I thought that like the <laughs> Guardians are going to be like these War of the Worlds type creatures mm-hmm. with like super long, like insect-like legs, like really cool stuff. I'd love to see something like that. But yeah, I think it's going to be really, really different. Like, I don't think there's going to be Breath of the Wild 3 in the same world. I think we're going to see a new art style. It'll probably be on some new hardware. Gosh, if they made it look like that Wii U tech demo that I'll never leave behind, which is just the most gorgeous thing they've ever made. Uh, But yeah, I think it's going to be a clean break from maybe even Ganondorf. I think that the this hierarchy of power Ganondorf, wisdom Zelda link courage i think that's done like this i don't know why it feels like that but this kind of feels like it like uh it feels like there's going to be some big changes but that's probably six plus years away because they did use the same engine and they started from the same overworld for this game and it still took five years to make and they're probably going to be starting fresh for the next one so in the meantime and kind of my main answer to this is to go outside of nintendo again for just a moment which is assassin's creed mirage which is coming out in august 
And that game is a break from the Origins Odyssey Valhalla open world 100 hour games and a return to the more linear stealth based Assassin's Creed that the original game was. And wow, would I love to see some other team at Nintendo or maybe even give it out to somebody you trust make a game in line with Ocarina of Time, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, a new 3D Zelda game like the old ones that we still love so much, even though Breath of the Wild changed everything because we saw it with Link's Awakening. It's not like they're moving on from that format forever because that was a 2D classic remake with the linear item-based dungeon progression. I want to see a new game of that 3D maybe in like three years uh, while we're waiting for the next big mainline open world game. So I guess my follow-up question to you then, Logan, is is there a place uh, for the mobile-style Zelda games? Now that we have... Because we don't have a distinct mobile console anymore. And yeah. some of the, the better Zelda experiences have been portable games. Yeah, man. Remake Link Between Worlds. Come on. Bring that game to Switch. That game is <laughs> Just so remake that. phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Or Oracle of Ages. I think there's absolutely room for a 2D. I think with Zelda, I just want to keep seeing them be weird with it. Yeah. And they have been. I mean, Hyrule Warriors, people thought was weird. I really like those games. Age of Calamity, I think I is too. great. Uh, Cadence of Hyrule is weird. Like, seriously, give Zelda to more developers outside of Nintendo. It's Our next question is actually about our biggest issue with Nintendo. I debated a lot of them, but I just want to see them get weirder with their, with their franchises. Like, I think that Mario has been kind of stale for a little while. Um, like, I think there's phenomenal Mario games on Switch, but like Paper Mario has, has grown stale. Mario and Luigi's dead. Like, where are the Mario RPGs or just the weird Mario games? Like, I want weird That's Zelda fun. games, too. And Zelda's always kind of weird. Like, the mainline games are weird, too. But I would love to see them partner with more great developers they trust. Like, look at what Yacht Club did with Shovel Knight and what they're doing with Mina the Hollower. Like, yeah. What we see whenever Nintendo hands a franchise to someone else, there's exceptions where it doesn't pan out. But even if the game isn't great, you can tell that the developer that had it knew what they had, respected what they had, and put everything they had into making it great. Like I look at what Mercury Steam did with Samus Returns and Metroid Dread, or what the Cadence of Hyrule team, or what the what the Crypt of the Necro Dancer team did with Cadence of Hyrule. Like there are these examples where it's like. You, you farm out a franchise to someone, they're like, oh my God, I get to work on Metroid. I get to work on Zelda. They're going to put everything into it. And I think with how long we're seeing between mainline games now in every series, like these, these kind of these kind of checkpoints along the way of new titles are really necessary for franchise care. Nintendo's been good at it on the Switch. Like there's six Zelda games on the Switch with like physical box copies. But after this year, I want to see some more experimental stuff a return to the classic 3D formula. I think there's so many ways you can go. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. I think that when they, they partner with folks, there is a sort of an understanding of the gravity of that. I mean, even yeah. look at when they were first showed off like Mario Plus Rabbids and you had the developer mm-hmm. like getting like Great getting example. outwardly emotional on stage, right? Um, I, I think that, you know, for, for folks who uh, work in the games industry, like, you know, th- you're there for a passion, but it is a job and it's easy for a lot of things to become work. But um, I have to believe that, like, if you were given the keys to, like, a Nintendo franchise, mm-hmm. even if you're, like, may- maybe been around the block for a little bit and a little bit jaded, that's still different. Like, that, like this is still, for so many of us, like, the origin of the passion. Yeah. And it comes, like, and it comes from such a pure place that it's, it's, it's treated with a lot of respect. And Nintendo is very careful to vet their partners. And they have, they're very clear about, you know, what you can and can't do. So I, I think, 
I, I think if they could find somebody who could do something new or interesting or different, like, my goodness, I would love a Zelda tactics game or a oh, Fire gosh. Emblem Zelda take yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that would be amazing. Or like another type of rhythm game, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like different from Cadence of Fire. Or playing Metroid Prime, I'm like, oh my gosh, if Retro Studios made like a new 3D Zelda, <laughs> it would just be unbelievable. Like, yeah. Yeah, like stuff like that. Like, yeah, I would really like honestly playing Metroid Prime in a lot of ways kind of scratches that 3D Zelda itch. Just exploring these dungeons, um, acquiring these new items, doing that in mm-hmm. a 3D because 2D Metroid never really scratches Zelda itch, but this game really is. And just thinking about this, but if it was a Zelda game, man, that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the Venn diagram between Zelda and Metroid has a lot more overlap when you start to actually break yeah. down the elements than I think people realize. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks for that question. We move on to our last one, which comes from Connor. And it says, you all talk about what you love about Nintendo. What's your biggest issue with Nintendo right now? What are they doing wrong? And I'm going to eliminate outdated hardware. I don't need to hear about a Switch Pro again. Good call on that. Because if Chris had been here, you know that's where he would have gone. What do you got, Justin? Anything? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say I uh, my feelings are pretty similar with Chris's there, but um, yeah, yeah I, I I think that there is a tendency with Nintendo right now to be very limited in how experimental they're will- they're willing to be. Like similar to what we talked about before. If you look at things like the NES era, you know, we had Super Mario Brothers. And then Mario Brothers 2, which was a reskin of a completely different game that has like entered the permanent like Mario lexicon. Yeah. Then we had or Mario from that game. Right, exactly. And then, you know, uh, or we had Zelda. Then we had Zelda 2, The Adventures of Link, completely different game. Worked in a like the entire philosophy for how it functioned was completely different. And we don't see that nearly as much nowadays. And I think that's that that's unfortunate. Uh, I think that uh, so much of of what makes Nintendo special is the fact that they've they take a lot of risks and they do a lot of things that don't necessarily pan out. We mentioned before that they're a company that you know is is very very careful about managing their bottom line. They're, they're, they're famous for having like a a you know a large war chest of cash and carefully managing their cash flow, which is how they've stayed in business for over a hundred years. I don't begrudge them that, um, but it also means that when series are well liked, but don't necessarily sell well like f-zero yes. like metroid for a long time yeah. we don't see new titles in them and so yeah I, I want them to be willing to like take a bath on things take a couple of risks and let things not work out and if something if you make something and it doesn't sell amazingly well but it's well liked and it sells okay be willing to, to see if you give it a second shot if if a sequel is enough to bring it up to that next level. I mean, Assassin's Creed wasn't Assassin's Creed until Assassin's Creed 2. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of examples of games that do that where the first one comes out and it's almost a proof of concept. And it builds like that, that sort of a an identity and a brand and then the sequel comes out and that's when it blows everything out of the water. And Nintendo, for as many things as they get right, I think one of the things they get wrong is they don't give games opportunity to do that do you give me an example I'm, I'm, I'm curious where you're going here because i guess i think i think they've done a pretty good job at at being a little bit willing to take risks i agree with you in some instances like the franchises but i think we're even starting to see them do that again like advance wars is coming out this year WarioWare <laughs> came out two years ago like there are examples of not the best selling games that they are giving another chance so uh, like what games do you think that they need to give well so on? yeah so i mean it's what what we're talking about though is we're we're getting um like re-releases or yeah. up of, of things that are like 
you know, like in in high demand, you know, um, when's the last time we saw a brand new Donkey Kong game? Right. When's the last time we saw them completely change the formula for how Donkey Kong works? I mean, like Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. It was like it's good, hard as hell, but it's also not a fundamentally different game from Donkey Kong Country, you know, and that was a Super Nintendo game. So, like, where where are those times where they're completely um, taking an existing franchise, with the exception of Star Fox, because they didn't know what to do with Star Fox, uh, and and doing something really new and creative with it? I don't see it. The only things that come to mind are when they 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 farm it out and make a Warriors game out of something. Um, well, I when, mean, to be fair, Breath of the Wild was that. Breath of the Wild was taking it and doing something completely different. Well, and and yeah. and and what was our reaction to it? Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Uh And. And even that, like, I, I think that that, that comes with a, an expectation that it's going to sell because it's Zelda. Like, there's no scenario where, especially around the launch of a new console, a Zelda's not going to sell. Even the Zeldas that weren't necessarily that great sold well. Mm-hmm. But, like, where, so, you know, where, you know, again, I, I use F-Zero as an example. Or an, another great example is, like, um, Super Mario RPG. Like, what a weird partnership, you know... Doing a turn-based RPG, which like like at the time was largely like about as dense as a game can get in terms of like technical mechanics, even though they made it pretty accessible. That's such a weird out of left field thing to do. Um, and then like you know there were some like the Paper Mario series like kind of scratched some of that itch, but like it's it's gone. Like where where's my little cloud boy? Where's my little wooden paper doll that has rocket hands like that are shooting things at, at me? Like where's that Nintendo? Bring that back. Yeah, I think that the yeah, you have a good point. It's it's that meme where it's like the the parent holding up the kid, and then there's the kid drowning, and then there's the skeleton right at the bottom mm-hmm. of, the, of the ocean. It's like Mario, Zelda, Kirby, Pokemon. Like they're doing stuff with those. Kirby got mm-hmm. his first main 3D game ever, uh, and yeah, that's how not Nintendo, but still that happened. Uh, Breath of the Wild was a huge change, and then there's spinoffs for Zelda also. Mario had Mario Maker, which was I think a pretty different step. For the series again it originated on the wii u that's a credit for the wii u not the switch to get a sequel there <laughs> but then odyssey i think is phenomenal and to me changed the 3d formula in meaningful enough ways for it to feel innovative but then when you go beyond that it's like oh yeah the, if you do see a franchise it is always kind of the same like it is and if it's not if it's if it's not in that category of guaranteed sellers right because yeah. like a mario game will sell because mario's on it yeah. so like where the experience the experiments that don't involve him you know mm-hmm. um that that that's what i want to see and like they have a lot of great brands they built up over the years you know everybody always talks about like mother perfect example right uh-huh. yeah. not a giant money maker for them but like let's do something with that yeah yeah well we're actually gonna be talking about a very experimental thing they're publishing this month so they're starting to do it just maybe That's not true. a game you're particularly interested in we'll talk about that in a second though uh because i gotta get my answer yeah which is i thought about this for a while and there's uh, some nitpicks i have here and there i absolutely hate the borders on switch online games uh, i think they're disgusting and i never want to play them but like little things like that that bother me i can't yeah. mind um but i think they're the Joy-Con debacle is not good. Like, the quality of those things has not been high enough this generation. Like, there's little issues like that. But I think, thinking broader, what I really settled on today was Nintendo, of the three major publishers, is not even close in dead last in terms of accessibility. And it's not even close. Like, we have seen mm. Xbox and Sony. Uh, mm. Xbox yeah. published the accessibility controller. PlayStation just announced Project Leonardo, which is this extremely uh, customizable controller uh, for people with disabilities. And this is a thing that 
com- these companies take losses on these, right? These these are not financially profitable things for Sony and Microsoft to do, but they're very important things for them to do. And they've done them. And obviously, yes, from a purely business standpoint, it's good PR for them to do that. Like it gets them goodwill in the community, but still it, it is a risk for a company to take a financial loss. And they do for these accessibility controllers to give the widest audience possible access to their games. And then you look at a game like God of War, Ragnarok, or The Last of Us Part 1, which was groundbreaking in its accessibility features for like for uh, people with colorblindness or blindness mm-hmm. or things like that. And just different control options. Difficulty sliders where like Last of Us Part 2, you can like turn down damage you take, turn down all these things that like uh, anybody would like to use. And then I look at something like Metroid Dread, which has a very convoluted control scheme. Like, it's kind of weird. It's like, okay, to use the the whip, you like hold down L and then Y and then like pull back on the stick. It's weird and it's not form easy. Yeah, weird it's like shapes with your hands. Yeah. yeah, and you can't remap those controls. You can't mm-hmm. remap controls in any game that I can think of except for Smash Brothers. And if you can't parry, good luck through that game. Yeah, there's, there's just no options right now. It is like a very kind of old school approach right now where it's like, well, it's like what From Software does. Like, you can't play the game, you can't play the game. And for the family-friendly, all-ages, Blue Ocean, everybody approach that they've had for the last 16 years since the Wii and DS came out, it's just surprising to see them lag behind so far compared to PlayStation and Xbox in, in terms of accessibility. It's like, it's just shocking. The first thing I do when I boot up a game is I go to the options because I'm weird like that. Like, I don't know, I don't know if you do that, but I go to the options, I make sure subtitles are on, I do that every time. And on PlayStation and Xbox games, you're scrolling through pages and pages of options and things. It's overbearing at times, but it's good because every option's in there for somebody. It's not, it's hardly ever me, but I'm not the person I'm talking about here. And you go to a Nintendo option and it's like, okay, uh, audio, stereo or mono. Stereo or mono, I was about to say that. That's (laughs) it, like that's it. And I think they they gotta do something about that. I think it's got to change. Man, that's a great answer. That is that is spot on. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, I thought about it a lot today. And then I hit yeah. it and I was like, yeah, that's like something that's it. that it's just really surprising. And then it, it goes even further a step with games with motion controls, like games that just have unoptional motion controls. Like not everybody can do that. And there's people that would still want to play these games that can't. And yeah, there's there's steps on the Switch. Like Skyward Sword has optional motion or uh, the new Kirby game that I was talking about last week has optional motion for some of its things too, but that's just that's not even the bare minimum. Yeah, they're 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 definitely fairly minimal in in terms of those things. Yeah. Like you know, sometimes you're lucky to get a difficulty, but like game changing accessibility. Um, like Last of Us is a perfect example. Like you can entirely change the way that you pick up and loot items and how encounters play out and quick time events and things like that. Like it's, I, I think that the Last of Us Part One is frankly the gold standard nowadays in from a software standpoint accessibility and what Microsoft and Sony are doing with their controllers is huge. Yeah, it's it is it is very it is very strange that as uh, marketed as the console for everybody Nintendo is that they really don't make themselves available to everybody. And yeah, you're totally right. That's that's a problem. Yeah, and I know that they're Nintendo's like trademark is gameplay, right? They're not mm-hmm. about story, they're not about visuals. Is if the gameplay is good, the game is good. And I think that maybe that makes them very protective over that gameplay. They want to deliver it to people in a very curated way. Like Breath of the Wild, like I think that Nintendo thinks about feel 
more than any mm -hmm. other developer does. I think they, how does it feel to move? How does the world feel to interact with? And, and I think when it comes to like button remapping or things like that, maybe it's coming from that viewpoint where they're like, we've designed this game to feel and control a very certain way. I think about Mario Odyssey. They were like, play with the split Joy-Cons, please. Like, you can play with a Pro Controller, but please play with the split Joy-Con. Like, <laughs> really wanted you to do that. Yeah. And it's because they think about these things and about how a player will interact with the game. And I think that's, it, it's just a little bit short-sighted. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly understand that, that there's a challenge there, but that's a challenge that, uh, frankly, I think they're obligated to take on. Yeah. Thanks for that question, Connor. Thanks for all those questions. That was, that was job, a great everybody. segment. Please, uh, if well you done. want your question read on the show, email us toadstoolboardroom at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at toadstoolbr. We're going to wrap up the show with some quick impressions of Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon. It has a demo out on Switch today that I sat down and played before the show. Uh, it's coming out on March 17th, so that's two Fridays from now. And you mentioned them doing weird things with their franchises this is a platinum game. Nintendo is publishing it. And this is not like any Bayonetta you've seen before. This is a very different game to the point that I don't really know who it's for. Like it, mm. it's very interesting. So it tells its story from this very pastel storybook perspective. The cutscenes are even like pages turning. Like you see one piece of dialogue. There's one clip of voice acting. You hit a, you see a physical storybook page turn and then you get the next line of dialogue. And it's about, Cereza, who, I'm sorry, Bayonetta fans, I'm not super caught up with my lore, I believe grows up to be Bayonetta, right? Uh, that was Shock. her name when she was a kid. Um, she's like in the first game that I played like six years ago. Uh, but it's about her going through this forest to earn this like magical power to save her mom. That's the setup. But what she does it with is she has this little stuffed cat named Cheshire, who, which is also a name Bayonetta fans will know. And she can uh, use her dark magic to turn Cheshire into this giant animated hulking stuffed animal demon hybrid beast. So then you're moving around as Cereza and you're moving around as uh, Cheshire. And the big hook to this game is you're doing it at the same time. You have Bayonetta who you control with the left stick and you have Cheshire who you control with the right stick. It's very Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, the Joseph Forrest game before A Way Out and It Takes Two where you're controlling the two brothers with the left and right stick. Or for Nintendo fans, it's like uh, the Animal Crossing game in Nintendo Land where the, you control the two cops, uh, Copper and Booger, at the same time. But anyways, um, so you're controlling them at the same time. And what Cereza can do is she can stun enemies and then you actually have to attack them with Cheshire. And then there's those are the combat sections. So it gets a little hectic. I'm sure you'll get better as, with time as you play. But it gets a little hectic where you can really only attack with one character, but you have to pay attention to where Cereza is, so she's just not getting ganged up on by some other enemies. Um, but then what, where I think this gameplay is really going to be make it or break it is in the puzzle sections, because there are some pretty cool puzzles where there's this, like, plant that Cheshire's allergic to that he can't walk through. So Bayonetta can walk, Cereza can walk through it, and then she can, like, create an alternate path for him to climb up. And then once he climbs up to where she's at, there's this puzzle that only he can do um, that that you use his abilities to make them both progress. So it's very much feels like a co-op game that you're playing alone, uh, like where you have two characters with very distinct movesets that can interact with the world in different ways. And it's actually pretty interesting. The first 30 minutes of the demo, you don't have Cheshire yet. You're just Teresa. And I was like, wow, this is not engaging whatsoever. <laughs> uh, they're having me do very menial tutorial tasks like, this is the start of the game and your progress transfer is over. So they're having me do things like 
go get this pail of water and bring it to me. And then you just walk like 15 seconds, grab a bucket, walk back. It feels slow. It doesn't feel good. And I was like, like, what, what's the point of this game right now? And then when you get the cat, it's like, it kind of opens up everything because there are some really unique puzzles with it. And um, I think that I'm kind of anticipating as you go along, they'll get more complex. So it's interesting, but I don't know who it's for. Like, is it for Bayonetta fans? Is it for a younger audience? Like, it's just a really weird thing that Platinum just made and is releasing like six months after Bayonetta 3. And yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. I love the uh, idea that uh, uh, Cheshire goes back and forth between the stuffed animal yeah. uh, uh, form. To, so uh, so th- this is Bayonetta Calvin and Hobbes edition. <laughs> yes, uh, it is. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, so that, that's a lot of fun. So um, I... I was wondering, you kind of described a little bit that you have like the left to right stick to, to control things. Yeah. Like, can you, I haven't had a chance to play the demo yet. So can you explain a little bit more actually how it controls? Are you, um, like, do you switch into a dual control mode at certain times? Um, are you always like doing one of these and going opposite directions <laughs> like iguana eyes? Like how, like what's, what's, what's that interface like? Yeah. So this game takes place in an, it's an isometric perspective. So it's mm-hmm. mostly top down, but a little bit more angled. And that's so the camera kind of like Smash Brothers, zooms out depending on where characters are at on the screen. And when you're just controlling Cereza, it's interesting. You don't use face buttons or the D-pad in this game. You use the D-pad for recovery items, but for actual action and interacting with the environment, you use the two sticks and the four triggers, the four shoulder oh, okay. That's it. That's what you use. And so Cereza is the left stick, L and ZL. And she moves, she interacts with things with uh, L, and she attacks things with ZL, or she stuns things with ZL. And that's it. So when you don't have the, when you don't have Cheshire out, you're using the right stick to like swirl him around Cereza's body, like kind of like a third limb almost, like uh, where he can like reach out super far and like grab things that she can't reach, um, grab onto like jump points uh, to launch them, like kind of like peepholes back and then like launches them across gaps. So that's what you're doing when, when Cheshire's not out. But then you hit R to unleash him. And that's when you enter kind of the dual stick mode where Cereza's controls remain the same with L, uh, left stick L and ZL, but now you move Cheshire with the right stick and you recall him back to the plush mode with R and then you attack with ZR. So that's it. Gotcha. It's, it felt super clunky the first five minutes, but I actually kind of got used to it pretty quick. And the only time that it gets like super confusing is like when Cheshire's on the left side of the screen and Cereza's on the right. You really want to like use that like, to move him? Yeah. Trade your hands. Yeah. If you did it with split Joy-Con, you could do that. You could. <laughs> it could work. But uh, it's a little bit cumbersome, and I don't know. I'm 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 very good at adapting to new games very quickly, uh, and it took me a little bit to figure it out. So when I'm thinking about like a general consumer who's like, oh, a new Bayonetta game, it could it might just feel like crap. Like, might, I might, can't decide. Might yeah. Be mind bending a little bit. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I, I've only seen the, the the trailers, like the one from the direct. Um, yeah. So, h- how does the, that art style look in motion? It looks great. It looks really does, nice. Does it hold up? Yeah, it um, it kind of like Skyward Sword had that pastel look, mm-hmm. um, but take that and like crank it up to eleven. Like it is just super textured, very almost like Van Gogh Starry Night looking. I think is what they were going for, and it does look really nice. And it actually does this interesting thing where. As you're walking further off, um, like the edges of the screen are are white and they get mm-hmm. like colored in, like in the storybook style, like as the camera approaches them. And so it's a really nice visual touch. And 
It's like, huh, I wonder if these were just like popping in. So they were like, oh, we'll just make it a feature uh, because it kind of gives off that brilliant. vibe at points. But yeah, and the performance is really solid. Uh, I think I think it was running at a, a solid frame rate, like 60 FPS, no drops. So yeah, it's I can't tell how long it is because mm. the demo took me like an hour. I skipped all cutscenes because I had to I had to, I, I watched like the first intro ones, but I was running right up to the show. I'm like, I just need to play this through. And I played for a little less than an hour, skipping some cutscenes. And then when the demo ended, it's my save file said 10%. And I'm like, whoa, is that? Did I just play 10% of the game? Because if so, it's very, very short. But I don't know if it's like 10% of the area I was in. So right. yeah, maybe, maybe hold off to see some reviews drop next week to see how long this thing actually is, because it is a full retail six. If it is game. a 10-hour game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's interesting. Go ahead. What's, what uh, What was the mix of combat to exploration? That's one thing I've been able to, to tell from uh, demo so far. Uh, it's more, I think that I would say this is puzzles first, combat second, no exploration. Like it is ex- the, maybe it opens up later, but the demo is a linear path through this forest. Mm, There's no branching okay. paths. Um, oh, okay. that might change though. Uh, I think it might get to a point where there's some optional areas, just the demo didn't have them. Uh, but yeah, you're mostly solving environmental puzzles to platform through, like kind of splitting up the two characters, um, making sure they stay close enough together while you're solving these puzzles too. Cause if they get too far apart, you lose. I mean, like there's like this countdown timer and then it like resets you to the checkpoint. Uh, and then there was like two to three combat encounters in the demo. And the combat was actually super flashy. Like Cheshire, when he like, so the game is super like cool colors. It's like greens, blues, purples, like forest at night. But then Cheshire is bright red. So when he's tearing into these enemies, there's like these claw marks ripping through the screen that are like orange, fiery, yellow, and red. And it looks really cool. It looks really nice. It's like, I can see that Platinum Games made this. Like it definitely has that vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but the combat was just pressing one button. Uh, I don't know if he has like a skill tree or something later on, but for now it was just like you hold ZL to stun them with her and then you mash ZR to beat them up with him. So it feels secondary to the puzzles, which I did actually enjoy a little bit. But yeah, for me, I don't know how this one's going to turn out. Uh, I think it's like you were just talking about. You're just complaining like you want Nintendo to take risks. Well, this is them doing that. Nintendo funded this game. They're publishing this game. It's cool to see Platinum kind of branching out, making something different than the action titles they usually make. So I'm all on board and, and support them making it, but we'll we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, that's Bayonetta Origins coming out uh, on Friday, March 17th. And Justin, that's our show. We made a long show out of, we made a long show out of very little this week. We did. Yeah, nicely yeah, done. Uh, the the uh, uh, gold star goes to the uh, lister uh, questions though. They, yes. they were the MVPs of this one. Yeah, thanks for getting those in. We, I, I, I love to answer questions every week. So yeah, please, if you have anything, send it in. Keep them rolling. There's, there's no bad questions. We'll answer anything. So yeah, I do prefer like the the thoughtful ones, like that we can really get into, uh, like like the all of them today. All of them today were like that. Good questions uh, today. Yeah, but just like, do you think we'll ever see a new F Zero? My answer is no, and I'm sad, and then it's over. So try to like not. Why does a plumber wear but, white gloves? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good question. But yeah, send those in. Boardroom at gmail.com. That's another episode of our show in the books. A weekly show here on Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Next week, we'll be talking about the tracks in Mario Kart 8 that will be out, the final Mario movie trailer, and whatever else happens in the next few days. But for now, you can find Justin online at... At K-O-R-E-I-S on Twitter. 
You can find myself at Logan J. Plant. You can find Chris at Shrives93. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time right here in the Toadstool Boardroom.